You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. As the world's largest economy stubbornly refuses to prove its detractors correct and slip into recession, that's the US of course, the world's second largest economy is proving to be problematic and this may become a headache for the global economy and therefore investors and of course I'm talking about China. With me is Philip Saunders, Director Investment Institute at 91 in London. This raft of data, Philip, that I keep on seeing flashing across my screen on almost a daily basis can be quite concerning, especially as the property problem has reared its head with a company called Country Garden recently. Yes, that's right. So, um, yeah, I mean, China basically is uh, is still in the throes of uh, property deflation. Um, property prices have been falling again recently. And the big property companies, which Country Garden is one, uh, they all basically have the same kind of business model, which is broken now. And so that remains a problem. And that remains a problem because it's poisoning consumer sentiment. So although savers have, you know, decent savings levels, they've been saving through COVID. They have a non-American attitude to saving. They tend to save and they're choosing to save rather than spend. Uh, And they're certainly not investing in property at the moment, which is obviously a sort of important sector in the Chinese economy. So this is not a sort of normal recovery like the ones that we've seen in the past. Um, you know, where typically interest rates were cut, liquidity was injected into the economy, uh, the property sector turned around and rallied strongly. This time around, you know, the property is not happening in the property sector because of, you know, it's overpriced and there's a high level of uncertainty. So there's a deflationary mindset because if you want to actually buy property, and there's, you know, there are plenty of potential buyers uh, of property in China, you know, if you put off that purchase, you might buy it cheaper. So you've got that kind of mindset as well. So, you know, this is a big deal. It's a big headwind and it's making life very difficult to actually sort of get a proper recovery going. You mentioned the phrase, a business model that is broken. What is the business model? Putting up lots and lots of tower blocks of flats, one, two bedrooms, and uh, and then not being able to sell them. Is that what you're talking about? So it's a little bit more complicated than that because, you know, the, you know, the approach that was adopted was that you, as a buyer, you pay the money up front before the flat has actually been, sort of the apartment has been built. Uh, the property company then sort of... Uh, has got positive cash flow, uh, and then they build the apartment, and eventually you you get it. Mm-hmm. And but they've been using that cash to run pretty high gearing levels themselves, so they're highly geared companies. And you know, for many years, this model worked very well for the property companies. They were very profitable, uh, and they got more and more aggressive in terms of operating in this particular way until the music stopped. And then obviously, you know, it become a sort of problem because, you know, property prices were sort of uh, in the key cities in, in China uh, have become increasingly unaffordable. So you saw, you know, this G basically came up with, uh, uh, you know, houses are for living in, not for speculating with. And you had all of that sort of coming as well. And so, you know, we've hit a peak. We, you know, ended up in a property bubble. Uh, the most exposed property companies are steadily going bust. Uh, and that process takes time. Uh, and it certainly isn't open. It's interesting because we talk about these companies like Evergrande and Country Garden and think, oh, it's a company, so it goes bust, so what? But the fact is that a certain sector of the Chinese population, the upwardly mobile Chinese person, 
is heavily invested into, into property. Some of them have not just one, but two or three speculative uh, properties. So a good chunk of their wealth or their portfolio of wealth is invested in property. And so if it all goes awry, then, yeah, it has knock-on effects. Yes, naturally. So property was the principal sort of savings vehicle for the population with uh, with surplus cash. There are also wealth management products as well, and they've had a checkered uh, time in the past with you know overpromising and so forth. And so, therefore, it's pretty central to consumer sentiment. Um, certainly, the people with, you know with money and consumer sentiment generally. You know, you've got the policies being adopted in China continue to actually heavily favor capital investment in, you know, for security reasons, because the U.S. is basically trying to pull the technological rug uh, from under the China's feet, particularly in certain areas like semiconductors. So the consumer sector you know, is constrained at any rate because there is you know, a favoring of the export sector and of manufacturing. And then you add this on top of that. Uh, and you know, that's not very comfortable. It means that you, you have an unbalanced recovery uh, and you mainly see it in the area of uh, purchase of durable goods. So, you know, the purchase of services post the sort of main bout of COVID in China, you know, has actually rebounded in a reasonably normal way. Either going out to restaurants and things like that, yes. you know, but they're not investing in property and then they're not really buying durable goods. Uh, and so that, you know, there's overproduction. Export demand has also weakened uh, at the same time. So, you know, it's going to be challenging. Uh, and the authorities, you know, have been trying to stimulate the economy but they haven't really managed to find the right levers to pull this time yet. Okay, so we came out of COVID, or rather the Chinese economy and the Chinese population came out of COVID. They went out and they did things that they were, haven't been able to do for quite a while because the Chinese authorities were quite strict. But it was just a flash in the pan. It was a, rather a flash in the wok because it hasn't lasted. Let's go to the macro picture now. Oh, actually, no, before we go to the macro picture, there's another one as well. A wealth management company whose name briefly escapes me also couldn't meet its obligations. And uh, so it, uh, that is, I suppose, linked to the property crisis. Yes, it can be. I mean, some certain wealth management products are linked to property in China, but it's actually surprised a relatively small percentage uh, that ha has a direct link. So I think that that is uh, less of an issue, I would imagine. So I think it's a more general thing. And, you know, sure. So after COVID, there'd been less stimulus in the form of basically giving people money, which we did in the West. Yes. In, Ch in China, they didn't do that. So you didn't. But people couldn't spend any money. And so therefore, savings built up. So unlike Europeans and Americans, who as soon as they were released from the COVID restrictions, having been on a a durable spending spree from home when they were locked up, uh, then basically travelled and spent a lot of money on services. So there was sort of these sort of, you know, booms coming out of COVID. Uh, that hasn't been the case in China. However, if you look at growth in China since the first quarter of 2019, just before COVID sort of really began to impact, and, you know, say the first half of this year, you know, China, you know, in terms of overall growth, China has recorded a growth rate of twice that of the US um, and even more relative to, say, the UK or European economies. So it's not completely shocking 
You know, actually, China's done relatively well over this particular period, uh, less well on a relative basis than historically been the case. But it's up against some pretty significant structural problems to headwinds. And obviously, the key one is, uh, you know, the problem in the property market. Okay, let's go macro now. Let's have a look at GDP growth, which, as you quite rightly say, I mean, people would love to have the uh, China GDP figures that have come out, although we were used to, of course, much more glamorous numbers in the past. Manufacturing activity is down. We've got a deflationary environment, potentially, because CPI inflation is below zero. In other words, prices are falling, not just going up less like it is in the UK, but falling import-export volumes just horrible in the last uh, three or four months. And uh, as a result, uh, just in the last few days, interest rates have been cut from 2.65% to 2.5%. So 15 pips, which doesn't sound a lot, but it gives me the sense of there may be more to come, not just with interest rates, but with other instruments to boost the economy. Do you get that feeling as well? Yes, I mean, I think, you know, obviously the aggregate debt levels in China are at uncomfortable levels. So the authorities... You know, they don't really want to have to throw the kitchen sink at the problem uh, because that has actually created more problems in the past, you know, particularly after the global financial crisis. Uh, they really went for it then because they were f- afraid that the Western financial system was going to collapse. And, you know, they've been dealing with the consequences ever since. You know, it's been stop, go. They've loosened policy to try and ginger, sort of get growth going again. And then they've actually reined it back. You know, they're more constrained from doing they don't really want to do that because that leads to sort of more distortions, more capital misallocation. However, you know, they need growth for reasons of legitimacy and keep the population happy and so forth. Um, And it doesn't have to be the sky high growth rates that we've seen in the past, which, you know, China's a huge economy now. And so it's that's not really you know, sensible, you know, or or possible. Uh, But they want a decent rate of growth, you know, around about sort of 5% or something like that, which looks pretty good by global standards at any rate. But they're going to struggle to actually achieve that uh, with the currency sort of policy set up and given the structural headwinds that they faced in terms of debt and in terms of the property sector. So they're going to have to come up with more. And, you know, the question is, is that more going to come quickly? Or, you know, have they still not really sort of worked out what they need to do to actually sort of genuinely improve things and get the economy sort of uh, going on a sustainable basis? And I suspect they're not there yet in terms of what they really have to do policy wise, but we're going to be heading in that direction over the next 12 months. So there will be, you know, maybe not a bazooka. Uh, but there's going to have to be something more than they've managed to deliver already. They're working pretty hard at it. They're just pulling Mm. the wrong levers. Okay. I get a little bit worried about, and not the demise, but the cracks in the Chinese economy because it's so important for the global economy. Um, But on the other hand, I say to myself, they won't let it happen. They can do whatever they like. They can either massage the figures or they can just put these huge stimuluses in and make it better. And maybe not in the very, very short term, but over the medium and long term, it will be made right because of the nature of the country itself. Yes, up to a point. So I think that, uh, you know, we sort of got to a point, you know, if you go back to the past, you think sort of communist administrators were you know, pretty useless. And then they turned out actually to be pretty good. 
and then we went slightly crazy and we thought that you know the Chinese policymakers were all these sort of you know white cat stroking sort of uh, genius technocrats which <laughs> you know clearly they're not however you're right China is still a relatively closed economy you know, they've got a closed capital account and the government controls the banks so they've got levers that they can pull that uh, other countries simply don't have uh, and so I think that I wouldn't get too carried away with, you know, China is doomed. And you're getting a lot of the narrative is basically it's sort of all about the sort of terrible demographics and so forth. Um, the demographics really don't turn nasty in, in, for another 10 years or so. And so it's not really that. Yes, China has structural problems. It's trying to pursue. It's not really letting the private sector rip uh, enough. Uh, and it's not doing enough to actually sort of underpin consumer spending and, and that will have to change if China is to prosper. But is China going to suddenly sort of implode in a mess, in a recession or depression? Not really. Um, so we shouldn't get too carried away about this. Uh, you know, anemic growth. Um, and if they do sort of start to pull the right levers effectively, then I think we will eventually get uh, a recovery. But it's going to be sort of continue to stutter for the time being. Comforting and soothing words, Philip. Very final question and briefly. What is 91's attitude towards investing in China? So I think that um, that's a massive subject. And I think it sort of uh, depends on a whole host of things in terms of, you know, ethical stances and so on and so forth. You know, we think that um, China is going to, uh, you know, it's going to bifurcate in terms of, you know, technology and so forth from the West, but not necessarily the rest, so to speak. So China is going to continue to be important. It's going to continue to be a huge market. There are some absolutely fantastic Chinese companies trading on sort of ludicrously low valuations at the moment. And I think that everybody is very concerned about uh, Chinese growth. And I think, you know, if you're prepared to be selective, then, you know, there are, you might not actually buy the indices, but, you know, there are some incredibly sort of good investment opportunities available at the moment. Great growth companies that are really well run. They're incredibly well positioned and, you know, they're, they're as cheap as chips. Thank you so much for your insight. That was Philip Saunders, Director, Investment Institute, 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.